not only am I 14 miles from North Pole, you don't know this, but Santa Claus got baptized in the Holy Spirit at the Assemblies of God Church in North Pole, Alaska. And if you don't believe me, go ask him. Sit on his lap. Well, how's everyone doing today? The rest of you, are you all okay? I, uh, I talked to my wife today, and she says, Mark, do you remember what happened last time you spoke at Minnesota? I said, no. She said, yeah, we just put new carpet in our house. It was like 10, 11 years ago. Just put new carpet in our house, and we had, my, my wife, we'd saved up. She got this brown Berber carpet. She was so happy. And one of my daughters was going through her potty training phase. And my, mom, my wife likes to clean, and so she always adds chlorine to the uh, bathroom bleach bottle squirt stuff. She adds extra chlorine in there. And, uh, she, and, and my daughter always sees how my wife would squirt the bottle, and then she'd rub it. So my da- after my daughter had uh, spilled some of what was not supposed to be on the carpet on the carpet, she went and she got a squirt bottle, and she began to squirt the brown Berber carpet that was a week old. And then she takes a rag and she begins to rub it into the carpet. Now the bad news is there was a big orange spot on our brand new Berber carpet. The good news, we switched to Geico and saved 15% on car insurance. <laughs> so it's okay. A couple more years, we'll buy more carpet. Um, but man, what a great honor to be here. Uh, again, your superintendent and... Uh, uh, his wife, aren't you, aren't you, you know, he led the way in raising the bar for speed the light, giving on a national level, and, and now Kirby's taking it to the next level, and so uh, Minnesota, you, you should be proud of yourself, and so great job, and proud of your leaders, and, and uh, I, I'm in ministry today because of uh, your, your former superintendent, Clarence St. John. I was at Trinity Bible College. My twin brother and I were the sixth and seventh fastest two-milers in America in high school, and uh, he got a full-ride scholarship, ran it, took it at a Division II school in Cal- California where the 84 Olympic coach, Brooke Johnson, the U- USA Oli- Olympic coach, was the coach there. He retired from Stanford. And, and I'm at Trinity Bible College, and I went there because they said they had track and cross country, and I realized it was a, you kind of, you kind of, they gave you a jersey, and you showed up for meets and ran. And uh, true story, my, my brother um, had, had uh, trained it, uh, you know, they had the big crater. They went, they went and did an incredible training camp at Lake Tahoe, and then they went to the Stanford Invitational. And uh, there was two twin brothers on that team, and then my brother, who's a twin, and they took one, two, and four at the Stanford Invitational as, uh, they're, they're in their freshman year. And so the coach said, if, if Mark was here, we could have maybe taken three of the, or four of the top five spots at the Stanford Invite if Mark would have come. So my parents called me and said, Mark, why, you know, the coach still wants a full, you could come. And, and I'm like, I, I packed my room up. My parents were going to be home in five days. This, would be, this was BC before cell phones. So I packed my room up, and, and I was going to call my parents the next week when they got home on a Tuesday. And, and uh, Monday, I'm in, I'm in Bible class. I'd flunked my Bible exam. I grew up on a farm and didn't have time to go to Sunday school. And, you know, we, we, got, we, got, we were lucky to get to church on time without, if that makes sense, not smelling like the barn. And so I, I, uh, I'm in Bible survey class, and he talks about Gideon. And so I said, well, God. If I'm supposed to stay, I'll lay my fleece out. And so I said, Lord, if it's your will, I stay. Someone needs to come to chapel or look me in the eyes and basically tell me I should stay. And your superintendent, uh, former superintendent Clarence St. John came to the platform that day, puts his Bible aside and said, I feel like God spoke to me about sharing my story. He said, I was on a full-ride scholarship to play football at Mankato State. 
and I was going to start as a freshman. The newspaper articles talked about that was the first, for, you know, I was going to be one of the first freshmen in that position to start in years. And, and, uh, but I said, I knew that I was out of God's will, and so I quit school and transferred and went to North Central University, and the dorms were full, and all this kind of talk. He said, and all the thoughts the devil had put through my mind, he said, I don't know why I'm sharing that, but there's someone in here that you know that you know that God's called you, but you're thinking about going something else don't even think about. So I'm here today because of your superintendent, Clarence St. John, who was willing to say, thus saith the Lord. I feel like I got a prophetic word. And, and, and so uh, thank you, Pastor Clarence, for being obedient. Now tonight I, I want to share, and I, I'm just a small town dairy farmer's kid who got called into ministry, and I'm in Fairbanks, Alaska, because no one else wants to go where it's that cold. Um, I'm there because God called me there. In fact, um, but, but I want to talk today. It's, it's a simple message. In fact, it might be so simple it's profound. Sometimes we want these deep, like profound. You ever met those people like, I, had to listen, I have to listen to four times because it's so deep. And I'm thinking Jesus was a pretty simple guy. And so I want to preach what I think is a very simple word, but I think it's a prophetic word for where we are because I'm concerned. And, and, and can I just be, I, I, I'll be a pastor right now. And, and if you don't like me, you don't have to come to my church. But I, I've seen something in the last 12 months that concerns me about the church. And, 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 and so if, if, if you're highly offended, just take last night's message, put it on repeat, and listen to it afterwards. But I want to talk, talk about how to find God's will. But I'm convinced, I'm kind of concerned about the church. I, I saw something this year in Fairbanks. It's probably not in Minnesota. But I found some people were so passionate about prophetic words. Like passionate. And I, in my seven years prior to this last, this last year, I've not seen them that passionate about anything in church. Like, I had people coming up going like, Pastor, home, you know, and it had to do with who was going to be the President of the United States of America. And, and, and I, I was like, I, can't, I finally, went, I said, don't send me another Facebook inbox about this prophetic word, about this and that. How many want to know in the Bible when there's a prophetic word that was given about someone that would be the ruler, that would, the, 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 the shoulders of the, the world and nations would rest upon his shoulders in the name of Jesus? The government of the world would be upon his shoulders? When there was prophetic words about Jesus, they happened exactly the way the prophet said it. In fact, God used the government to change the census place so that Jesus would be born where the prophet said he'd be born. God is either sovereign and people missed it or God's not sovereign and people got it right. So tonight I want to talk about God's will because I'm convinced we sometimes we want so hard to hear this prophetic word. And, so, and, and I've met people that have had a prophetic word spoken over them and then they stop and, 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 and they're still waiting for that prophetic word to happen. And they're waiting for everything to line up in the stars rather than moving now and doing God's will today. So tonight I want to talk and it's probably going to be pretty simple. But for some of us we need it simple. All of us need it simple. 
So tonight I want to talk about how to find God's will, how to know him. And I want to look at an Old Testament story that I think can lay it out. And I want to kind of unpack it like a pop-up storybook. Anyone here secretly like the pop-up storybook section at stores? When I go to Walmart and there's a pop-up storybook and the wrapper's off of I love to open that thing up and see how, Anyone know what I'm talking about? My prayer tonight is that the Bible would be a pop-up storybook or scratch and sniff. Just leave Noah's Ark out because that would stink. But in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 5, it says this. The Philistines, this is kind of the culture. I'm kind of like, this is history for the story I'm going to talk about. The Philistines mustered a mighty army of 3,000 chariots and 6,000 charioteers and as many warriors as the grains of sand on the seashore. That's a hyperbole. That's an exaggeration for like the uncountable number. In other words, the army was so big, no one could count them. The intelligence officers could not tell, other than it's like they are so many. It's like the sea of the sand shore. You can't count them. There's a lot of people, and they camped at Michmash east of Beth Avon. Now, if you read on, it says the men of Israel began fearful, and many of them left. And, and at this time, Saul is king of Israel. And, and this is the time where he's waiting for Samuel to come to ask for God's favor on Israel. And Samuel's late. And so you remember, if you, if you read chapter 13, Saul thinks, well, I'll become the priest and I'll offer offerings. Remember the story? And so Saul offers offerings and the process loses God's favor on his life. And Samuel shows up and says, what have you done? In his mind, he's thinking like, you know, the world's falling apart. I don't know, but I think as the governor or the, the, the king, I can probably, like, I, I just want to fix the problem here. How many want to know when man tries to fix the problem, that's the problem anyway? Since when, when is a human ruler going to fix uh, our world for us? And, and the army of Israel, there's only 600 that remain. And Saul offers offerings. Samuel arrives and rebukes him. And then it says this in verse 19. And this is when, when Samuel, Samuel tells Saul, you know, you lost your kingdom. No one in your family line will ever sit on the kingdom again. You've lost it all. And in verse, 1 Samuel chapter 13, it says, there were no blacksmith in the land of Israel in those days. The Philistines wouldn't allow them for the fear that they would make swords and spears for Hebrews. And then it goes on. In other words, there's no one who knows how to make a sharp object. There's no one who can make swords. There's no blacksmiths. There's no weapons. And, and, and in other words, there's a community that's weaponless. And my fear is the church would not be a weaponless community. That we'd not be a place where there's no weapons anymore. In fact, there's no one that even knows how to make those weapons anymore. And then it says in verse 20, or 22, it says, So on the day of battle, none of the people in Israel had a sword or spear except Saul and Jonathan. In other words, there's two swords in all of Israel. Now what I want to talk about is I want to look at this story now in chapter 14. That's the history of it. They're in a precarious situation. They, they feel like the, the army's coming against them. Anyone look at our culture and go, are, do, are we just up against a big battle or what? And sometimes it looks bigger than, 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 than the, 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 the strength we have right now. And, and there, there's two swords in all of Israel. In chapter 14, we flip this, the page. The next story comes up. The next chapter, and it says, one day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young man bearing his armor, Come. Let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. 
But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were about 600 men, among whom was Aijah, who was wearing an ephod. Let's stop here. The ephod is what the priests would wear when they wanted to know the mind of God. So they're under the pomegranate tree in Migron going, God, we want to know your will. We want to understand what your path is. We want, we're surrounded by an army. There's 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and there's more armies than the, the sand of the seashore. And there's only two swords in all of Israel. How many of you know you're up against the wall when you have two swords against a lot of charioteers? And so Saul and Jonathan slips away his armor bearer. Come, let's go, go. And listen to what this is. Um, now, now, I love this. It says, Ahijah was wearing an ephod. He was the son of Ichabod's brother. Ahitub, son of Phinehas. Now, if you're, if you're pregnant right now, those are some biblical names. <laughs> I'm not sure that I would pick them. But I don't know your level of discernment. The son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross over to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozes. The other was called Sina. One cliff stood to the north toward Michmash. The other to the south of Giva. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised. Say uncircumcised. That is a great biblical name to call someone you don't like. It's right there. The uncircumcised fellows, perhaps, say perhaps. In other words, maybe. I don't know. But perhaps. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. How many know amen to that? Nothing can hinder the Lord, whether by many or by few. In other words, there's nothing too difficult for God. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Then it goes on. Do all that you have in mind, the armor bearer said. Go ahead. I'm with you, heart and soul. Jonathan said, uh, so here's the plan. Come, let's cross over toward the men and let them see us. And I don't know if they had, I don't know if they had shorts on. Like my friend who introduced me. Or if he had their suit coats on, like Mr. Sam Johnson, who did an incredible offertory. Was he not incredible at sharing a story? But he says, come, let's cross over toward the man and let them see us. If they say to us, wait here until we come, we'll stay where we're at and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign the Lord has given them into our hands. Uh, uh, so, so both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they're hiding in. Because again, Israel had crawled into holes. They're hiding. They're in caves. They, 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 we see that again when Gideon was in a certain place in the book of Judges. They, they kind of hid. They were cowering for fear because like it's not, it's not really good to be an Israelite right now. It's not really good to be God's people right now. They're hiding. And they're crawling out. And the men of the outpost shouted, Jonathan, the armor bear come up and we'll teach you a lesson so Jonathan said to his armor bear climb up after me the Lord has given them into my hand Jonathan climbed up using his hands and his feet with his armor bear right behind him and the Philistines fell before Jonathan his armor bear followed after and killed him killed behind him now I want to talk real quick about God's will I, I when I was at Trinity I had an interesting circumstance happen I was an R an RA or and so I was over one of the resident halls and uh 
it, it, while I was there, you know, people come to me with challenges or problems. And, and uh, one, of these, one of the kids that had had four roommates the year before was in my dorm hall. And it was second semester, and we hadn't put anyone with him because he kind of had gone through so many roommates the year before. And his name was Jim, and Jim was like four foot eight with bright red hair. Nothing wrong with that, but that's just how I remember him. Well, uh, you know, someone came about a week late to second semester. His name was Jim, and he was six foot four with bright red hair. We thought this is perfect. <laughs> and so we put Jim and Jim together. Big Jim and little Jim, we called him. Not to their face, but that's what we called him behind their back. And about a week into the semester, we had a, like an, you know, a, uh, you know, a spiritual emphasis week, and little Jim comes to my door, and he knocks on my door. He says, Pat, Mark, I, I got to tell you something. Oh, God spoke to me. I said, really, what did he say? He said, he told me who I'm supposed to marry. I said, really? And then he said, yeah, her name's Kathy. And then he gave the last name. And I thought, Kathy ain't going to marry you, buddy. I mean, she's a pretty girl in school. And, and uh, not that, I mean, you know, people look at me and say, how did someone so beautiful marry someone so ugly? I have got a personality. It's a personality, that's all. No, but uh, she says, would you pray for me? I'm going to go tell her. I said, I'm going to pray for you, and you're not going to tell her because if God told you you're supposed to marry her, God's big enough to tell her she's supposed to marry you. And that's going to be a bigger word than you got. I didn't say that to him. So I prayed for him. Oh, God. I might have threw a shundai in there. I don't know. And I said, amen. And the next day, the next day, Big Jim rattles my door at 1130 at night. Mark, can I talk? I mean, I'm, I can't, I'm just struggling. I said, yeah, what's going on? He says, Mark, you won't believe it. I've been praying for a spouse for 19 years, and God told me who I'm supposed to marry. Big Jim who? Kathy. He says, what should I do? Move to Salt Lake. It's legal over there. <laughs> so right, let's pray, Jim. He said, I'm going to go tell. I said, no, you're not. And I can tell you right now, Kathy never married Jim or Jim. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's an amazing with God's will sometimes. I mean, we just, you know, it's like, well, you know, God, if it's your will, this is going to happen. And so I want to talk how, I, I want to look at this story and unpack it. Four truths concerning God's will. I want to unpack it. I think I'm, I can simplify it because I'm convinced of this. The number of times I talk with people, how can I pray for you? I just want to know God's next steps for my life. I don't want to miss God. I, I don't want to miss God's best for my life. And there's, I had one person about a year ago says, Mark, I, would you pray for me? Why? I, I feel like I might have rushed into my marriage. And you know how the God, the God says that, you know, that, that we should beseech with brothers by the mercy of God to present your bodies a living sacrifice and, 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 and you renew your mind, transform your mind. You'll know the good, perfect, and pleasing will. I think I got the good will for God, my life, but not the pleasing will. And I looked at them and I said, No. Your spouse is God's will for you right now until death do you part. Don't have to question that. Let me just say something. God's will is not good. There's not a good will of God, a, per, a, a pleasing will of God, and a perfect will. God's will is good, it's perfect, and it's pleasing. There's one will of God. 
And we make it so hard sometimes. Oh, I just want to find God. How many of you guys have ever had grandkids or kids? I've had five kids. And how many of you have ever played hide and seek with your kids? Now, how many of you guys have hid so good from your kids, three days later they're still looking for you? That's called a bad parent. I mean, how many of you guys, like, your, your kids are having a hard time finding you. They actually, you actually, like, make some noise. Now, some of you guys, you fart. That's the noise you made. But, hey. So you make some noise. And, and so, so why, why do you make noise? So they can find you. Right? Or you're under the sheets and you're under the bed and, and you put your foot out so they can see your foot. Because you actually want to be found by your kids. Look at me, friends. Some of you in here... Perhaps you've overcomplicated God's will. God wants you to find him. He's not like, oh, if I'm on a tightrope and if I fall off, he's going to damn me to hell. Because ah. no, God's will is simpler than that. So I want to walk through what I think this story. This story is about Saul and 600 people under a pomegranate tree with a priest who want to know God's will for their season. And two people peel off. And I think, there's a two, I think we can learn from Jonathan and his armor bearer on how to discern God's will for our life. Number one, if you're taking notes, it's a truth I've always believed. Number one, God can't steer a parked car. In fact, my friend Kent Lee is here, and he's probably heard that from Fulton Buntain when Fulton was still preaching. God can't steer a park. How many, I grew up, any, any farmers in the house? Anyone ever had their power steering go out or have a tractor without power steering or an old pickup truck without power steering? And how many of you guys are trying to get that steer that car? It's hard to steer a parked car, but once it gets going, what happens? It's easier to steer. And, and I'm convinced. He, here's, here's Jonathan, his armor bearer. He says what? You know, we're going to go up there and perhaps, perhaps, Come, let's go. Perhaps the Lord. If we stay here, we don't, we're not going to hear anything. We're going to stay here. And some of us are stuck at a place called here. But you, 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 if you're here and you want to go there, you've got to sometimes move where you're at. You have to get past where you're at. In other words, I, I've, always, I've said this for years to my children and to my staff. Motion brings clarity. The steps of righteous people are ordered of? What are ordered? The steps. Now there's times you stand and you fight. And after you've done everything, you keep standing. But there's times God tells Joshua, everywhere you put your foot, I'm going to give you. In other words, I, I, I mean, well, I, what, what college should I go to, pastor? I'll tell you what I tell my kids. The ones that the cheapest and gives you the most money. Well, I'm praying for a new job. Well, how many applications have you filled out, sweetheart? Well, I'm praying for an advancement. Well, are you taking some classes on the side? What books are you reading? What are you doing to invest in yourself? Some of you want God to pick you up and put you on someplace over here, but you haven't done anything to make yourself more use. I don't want to say this. You haven't sharpened the tools that God's given you. You haven't stepped out. God can't steer park. If you feel that God has called you to do something, step out and see what happens. Motion brings clarity. Well, I don't know if I should apply for the job or not, Pastor. We'll apply. And if they say no, you got the answer. 
You think God's sovereign enough to keep the door open if it's your job? Yes. I, 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 uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 6 through 9, it's not on the screens here, there's an incredible uh, Paul. Pa- Paul says this. L- listen to the maybes or the what ifs in this statement. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while or even spend the winter so that I can help you on my journey wherever I go. Does that sound like he's got a lot of clarity? For I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. What's he saying? Step out. Move. I, 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 I've taught people before on just kind of how to hear God's voice prophetically before. And, and, and I've always said it's kind of like a, a, a box of tissue. Brady, could you just throw me that tissue right there? By the way, my daughter's up here. She's single. Um, <laughs> she's going to hate me now. But if I pull this tissue out, what happens? The next one becomes clear. But I have to start. We're waiting for things to pop out and open up, and we haven't started and done our part. So I know it sounds so simple, like, but Mark, I just want to know for sure what God's will is. Well, then start. Number number two, it it might not add up, but it lines up. Let me explain that. It doesn't add up when there's 3,000 chariots and 6,000 charioteers, and there's an army the size of the sand of the seashores, and you've got two guys with one sword. Because Saul has one sword, and Jonathan has one sword. And so you got an armor bearer with, with armor, and you got one guy with one sword. And how many want to know it doesn't add up, but it lines up, because the battle is the Lord, whether by many or by few. You've got to know what God's word says. I, 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 uh, doesn't add up, but it lines up. I, uh, I remember I was traveling full-time as an evangelist, and uh, I, I got called. I was doing youth convention for the Alaska Ministry Network, and two weeks before the network meeting or the network conference, youth conference, I got a call from the regional presbyter for the northern region who said, our speaker's wife got ill. Could you come last minute and do the minister's enrichment? And so I'm, I, I go up to the minute, I fly up, I say yes, and my, my superintendent's doing the evening uh, rallies, and I'm doing the morning and afternoon rallies. And he wasn't my superintendent at the time. And at that meeting, you know, now granted, I lived in Vegas, I have a beautiful home, I'm, I'm in housing development with water and lakes and paddle boats and, and lifeguards on for the, for the HOA there. It's a beautiful place with pretty good weather. And I fly into Fairbanks, there's six inches of snow on the 22nd of October, and it didn't let up the whole time I was there. And, and so I, I'm speaking, and, but the first night I get there, I get there late because of flights delayed and stuff, I get in there, and the superintendent begins to talking about Alaska and saying there's 100 plus villages with no consistent gospel witness, and, and he begins to cry and say, we've got to see this trend turn, we've got to see something shift in Alaska. And I'm sitting in the front row, and I heard God say to me, I heard an audible impression or voice. 
you're supposed to serve that man and lift his arms up. But I'm thinking like, I don't know if he uses deodorant. <laughs> I didn't think that, but. I'm, so I don't know what he preached on that night because I'm thinking like, how do I tell my wife I'm supposed to leave Vegas and come to Alaska? I don't know how many of you have ever dreamed of living where it's 40 below in the winter. Oh, never mind. You live here. (laughs) But case in point, we had six months and three days where it didn't get above 39 degrees this last year. Fairbanks. So I'm there, I go to the altar that night, and I remember going to the altar, and it happened to be in Fairbanks First Assembly, the church I now pastor, and, and I'm there going, God, you spoke to me, I heard, I know what your voice sounds like to me, it, it doesn't add up, doesn't make sense to me, how's my wife going to, I mean, she likes where she's at, she teaches at the Christian school, she's the chaplain, assistant principal for the school, and, 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 and teaches the Spanish class, how is this going to work? And I go to the altar, and God takes me a verse in, in Genesis that says, Jacob packed up his family on camels and moved. And I'd been to the Vegas Zoo with my daughters. There was only two camels. It didn't add up. But how many want to know something? You might look at your family right now, and you might go, you know something? How come my son or daughter has chosen, chosen an alternative lifestyle? She's struggling with gender dysphoria. Or you might look at your finances and God, God might have spoke to some of you about giving big for this capital campaign for the project over here. And I can just tell you what my wife and I have always done. In fact, I'm going home and I have 55 people I'm meeting with this Saturday because I'm raising $9 million. I have a $9 million project at our church right now. And, and I meet with 55 key givers and I've got a couple of those banquets coming up. But, but my, my, my wife and I have taken the practice. In fact, we were a cap, part of Capital Campaign in Vegas. And, and, and my wife got a number and I got a number. My number was bigger. So she said, well, let's go with your number because it's going to be God. So if you both had two numbers, I'll just tell you right now. The offering got bigger because it's the bigger number, not the smaller number. Some of your wives are like, no, I don't like that guy. I'm joking. It it, it doesn't add up, but it lines up. You don't move from Vegas to Alaska unless God speaks. (laughs) And I don't know what God's asking you to do, but I'll tell you right now, here's the challenge. I think in the church of Jesus Christ of current day saints, We have what I call spiritual anorexia or bulimia. Spiritual anorexia is where, you know what anorexia is where you have an aversion of food. You don't think it looks good on you, so you push the plate away and you, you starve yourself. And I think there's people who are spiritually starving because they push the plate away. They push the word of God away. They push it away, and they consistently push it away, and they're, they're, they're spiritual anorexic, or they're spiritual bulimics. They listen to podcasts and services and revivals and camp meetings, and they walk out, and they don't allow it to do nourishment in their life. If you know what this word is, here's your, I, I'm convinced you will know God's will if you know God's word. We all want like this special revelation, and God gave us divine revelation through his written word. This is a living letter for dying people who desperately didn't know how to live. And this tells us how to live. And so when you look at challenges, it doesn't add up, but it lines up. When my daughter, I, I, I have a daughter who was born in Vegas, and she was, she was 12 pounds and 13 ounces. Or no, 11 pounds, 14 ounces. And my wife said it was 12. She peed. 
And, but when she was born, um, she was so large when she was born that uh, um, I, I remember the doctors came out and said, Mark, they rushed me out and said, Mark, you need to get out because the next three minutes, if, if the heartbeat is, keeps going down, we're going to have to rush her in for a C-section. And I remember calling my pastor, called the church, said put her on the hotline, and they texted out hundreds of people. And within, within 30 seconds of my phone call, the heart rate came back to normal. The doctors go, I don't know what happened. Well, I can tell you right now, it doesn't add up, but it lines up with the word of God. And when she was born, uh, they, she had brachioplexy, where the nerve damage from her shoulder to her, uh, uh, to her shoulder to her neck was damaged, and so she, her, she had no movement of one of her arms. And insurance companies will pay for six weeks of therapy when you have a baby that has nerve damage. Six weeks doesn't cover it. Now, praise God for physical therapists in our church who continue to do it for free afterwards. But I remember they said, Mark, worst case scenario, six, eight months from now, when she's a little older, we'll have to go, you'll have to take her down to Texas to a children's hospital. They'll have, to, they'll have to transfer some muscles and nerves up there, and we hope it works, but she may never have her arm, may never work. So what do we do? We start praying. And we start praying, and we start praying, and we start praying, and doctors can say all this stuff, but how many want to know, it might not add up up here, it might not make sense up here, but it lines up to what the Word of God says. You do what the Word of God says, not what your head says. Samuel, excuse me, Saul, the chapter before, is like he's full of fear. And so what happens? He sees the army hiding, hightailing, ch- checking out, running out of town. So what does he do? He's waiting for Samuel to come and offer sacrifices. But somehow in his mind he goes, well, come on. Does it really have to be done the way God says or can I do it my way? And when you do it your way, it doesn't work. Might not add up, but it lines up. Do you know the word of God well enough to know what the word of God says for a situation? Number three, trust him. When you can't trace him and he'll fill the lines in. That's why I'm convinced the, the steps of righteous God. Step out. Trust him when you can't trace him. So here they are. They're, they're, they're heading up the mountain. And they said, but, 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 but if they say to us, wait here until we come to you. We'll stay where we're at and we'll go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we'll climb up because that will be our sign. I remember I... I uh, we're in a building project right now. Our church grew my first Sunday. I was the fourth pastor in four years. It was a great church to take. People lined up for that church. My first Sunday, there was 87 people. We're averaging over 1,500 a day. Seven years later, God just, things started moving and things started happening. People started getting saved. And uh, we had 43 visitors two weeks ago. People are coming. They're, they're coming. They keep bringing. Now, we live in a military community, so we need 43 visitors just to stay static in our community because people keep being launched and moving. The government keeps relocating what we call missionaries to other bases. But in that process, um, we, we, uh, we, we, right across the street from our church was an old Sears building. And I knew it was going to be for sale soon because they only had five cars in it every day of the year. And then next door to it was an old Kmart that had been sold prior to uh, Sears and Kmart coming together. And, and so uh, we we'd actually, Sears won the market. We heard about it. We offered them $3 million. They said no. We offered them $3.5. They said yes. $3.5 million for a 100,000 square foot building with seven acres of parking is a good deal. They said yes. I mean, we're excited. It's going to take about $2.5 million, $3 million to remodel that for phase one. And for $6 million, we could have a building across the street from where we're currently located, which would be incredible. And 11 days before we're supposed to close on that building, they filed for bankruptcy protection, and we lost the building. 
And so, of course, we, we've got architects and the engineers working. We're excited. And, and then we, we, we finally, we, we had enough money to go to the people next door that had Kmart, but it was a 160,000 square foot building with 850 parking spots. We went to them, and, and all along, we were trying to buy that building, but we hadn't, didn't have the money. We finally had the money secured, and we went to them, and he says, it's not for sale anymore. And I remember leaving that day, I was angry. I was, God, just, I'll go to a church that seats 1,500 people with 300 people. That might make more sense than going to a church of 87 that has 1,500 now. I'm kind of angry with God. You ever had an angry time? You ever, you ever talked to God like that? God can take it. That night, I got an email from a board of regent at the university. He says, Mark, you want to, might want to take a look at this. Um, I'm going to send an email over. And there was, uh, we knew there was 10 acres in town that wasn't really worth anything because there, no there was no road frontage. But the building that, the, 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 that we had, you know, the oil prices went down to like 30 bucks, 20 bucks a barrel a year ago or so. And, and 80% of our state's budget comes from oil. How many of you know Alaska was hurting? So the governor slashes the, the budget for our university so that the university starts selling buildings. And guess what? Uh, we bought a building for a song and a dance because oil prices went down. So we're, I'm happy about that for a season. So we bought this building because on, behind that two acres the building's on is 10 acres. We knew it was for sale that was worth of no value because there's no road furniture. So we went to the guy that owned Kmart who also owned the bit land and said, you know, we'll buy that land for you. And it's not worth a whole lot. What will you give it to us? So we put two land, real estate transactions together for 12 acres for $1.2 million with a 20,000 square foot building. And then last May, we're supposed to come out of the ground with a new building. Had, you know, you know design build, 50% architecture done. We're raising money. We're ready. And COVID hit. So May 9th, they canceled our groundbreaking. We're like, oh, I'm thinking like, come on. Do we not get a break? Meanwhile, there's six and a half acres west of the land we bought right on the road frontage that the people didn't want to sell it. They came to us, two different people. We bought this. We, we have 17 acres. We went from nothing to 17 acres a quarter mile from the university in Fairbanks, Alaska. What do I share that? Things might not add up, but it lines up. How many want to know God is your provider? You might look at your situation. You might look at your family. You might look at where things are at. But trust him when you can't trace him. He'll fill the lines in. And number four, learn to crawl before you walk. See, I haven't been spiritual yet. What they do? It says this. It says, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into our hands. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and his feet with his armor bearer behind him. In other words, he got on his hands and knees and began to, you know, I think the whole way they were crawling up there, they're going, God, we only have one sword. Would you help? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but I'm trusting when I can't trace you. And they said, come on up. So we're coming on up. And God, and how many want to know the Bible says that they literally started wiping out the people in the area? Now, when you're not sure what God's will is, I, I, I think God's will is like a stoplight. I've trained a couple of my kids how to drive, and stoplights are I love stoplights. How many have stoplights? I teach my kids that green means... Yellow means faster. <laughs> People are dying and going to hell when you stop at a red light. I'm sorry. I, I have some ladies in my church that hate me now. My pastor always says, Pastor said to go through yellow fast because people are dying and going to hell. I got to get there. I said, Don't blame me. So green means go, red means stop, and yellow means faster. Actually, yellow means look for the cops. Right? <laughs> Now here's, earlier I said you have to know the word of God because how many want to know the greens are in here? 
that goes. Going all the world preaching the gospel. When you give, when you pray, when you fast. All the goes are in here. It's not God's will that you should be sexually immoral. God's will, that all, the, all the greens and goes are in here. And all the, all the stop, all the reds are in here. All the stops. Don't do this. Do do this. Don't. That's why you have to know the word. But what we have is we have people who want these special prophetic revelations out there. And God's going, if you knew the Bible, you might have more discernment on other prophetic revelations. You got to know this. But on the yellow light issues, you're like, well, Mark, what, what about where the Bible doesn't say if I should be a lawyer or if I should be a pastor or if I should be a doctor? What about those times? Well, here's a couple, here's a couple thoughts. What to do when you're at the yellow light? Number one, look for the cops. What do the authority figures in your life say? That's why you don't go to war without what? Much counsel. Look for the cops. Number two, what do those in the car of life that know you the best think? The people that have wisdom, they know you. Those people, what do they say? The people who know you. There's just sometimes, you know, I, I, I was at a family reunion the other day, and no one had the guts to tell one of my nephews that he, does, he should probably never be a worship pastor. You ever listen to someone, some people sing, and they have a good heart? <laughs> but that's all they've got when it comes to worship? Don't judge me. And it's like, you know, it's like, and he's past puberty. It's like, okay. And so something my, 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 we're like, is that, I sure hope his mom and dad or someone just tells him they think he should do something else. But what are the people that know you the best think? Number three, what, what is the rear view mirror of life? Your past experiences when you look past in the back. Jesus in John chapter 8 verse 14 said, I know where I came from. I know where I'm going. He knew where his vision was. He knew what the past looked like. What is past experiences? See, there's two teachers in life. There's wisdom and there's consequences. Wisdom has an upfront tuition and consequences has a back-end tuition. What do past experiences say? What is, what, what, what is the experience? And number four, what's, what's the front window? What, what's the vision and dreams for your life? What does what, what looking out in the front look like? And if you look at that, that direction, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced God's will is more, uh, is more of who you are than what you do. The who than the do. It's not if you're a doctor or a lawyer, it's the type of doctor or lawyer you become. It's not if you're, it's not if you're a, a stay-at-home mom or, 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 you work at, or, you, or you work as an entrepreneur. It doesn't matter what you do. It matters who you are when you do what you do. Now tonight, I, I, I want to share this story in closing. And the reason I preach this message is I felt so, I woke up this morning with this on my heart, so strong. Talk about God's will. And for some of us, some of you are stuck. I just felt my, in my prayer time, some of you are stuck. Some of you are like, God, I don't know how, you know, he talked about forgiveness, but I don't know how to move forward. We'll take the first step. Or, or maybe you're, you're stuck and, and, and you're upside down with finances and your, your outgo is exceeding your income and your upkeep's your downfall. Well, uh, what, what, God, what do I go, what do I do? Maybe you're a college student, what, what do I, do I, or a young adult, do I go to school, do I do work, I, what do I do? 
I want to share this thought, and I want to spend some time in prayer because I believe this. What would happen in Minnesota if every one of us walked in step with God's heart and God's call and the will of God? What would happen in our churches in the state of Alaska, in Minnesota? What would happen in your homes? What would happen in your marriages? Just think about what would happen in the cities around here? What would happen in the communities, in, in, in the regions? How many believe that would transform the, 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 the culture of Minnesota? When I, was, uh, 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 when I was in high school, I raced in Europe for a month, and we were in Birmingham, England, at Alexander Stadium, an incredible stadium. More world records uh, in long-distance events have been set in Birmingham, Alexander Stadium, than any other stadium in the world. And we're there, and, and the rich history of that place, and they told us before we got there, they said, someone today is going to try to break the 100-meter dash world record. But we're going to ask, and they told us it's, it's someone who was blind. This person was 100% legally blind. So there's 30,000 people that gather to watch this person and to watch the, the events that day from around multi-nations were there. And we're there, and at one point they had us all sit down on, the, on uh, either the stands, and I was on the infield stretching for a, a two-mile race. And they had us all stand, and they told us to be completely silent as we watched one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. This guy was blind and could not see. They had an electric golf cart on the track about 10, 15 yards ahead of the gentleman. And uh, when the gun went off, uh, the, the, the golf cart would, 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 would start to drive. And on the back of the golf cart was someone standing. And all he did was clap. It wasn't miked to go through the whole system. Because the only person he had to hear the clap was the guy that was blind. He had to hear the clap. So they asked all the noise to be silenced. And you could just think that the noise in the stadium with 30,000 people, of people grunting, throwing shot puts, or people, you know, hit, hitting, hitting the, uh, the, 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 you know, the, the jumping and hitting the, 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 the wood board on a triple jump or a long jump, and, 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 and they jump. So there's no, there's no noise. There's, no, there's nothing going on. And all of a sudden, he said, runners, take your set. And, and, and so someone helped this gentleman in the blocks. Runners set, and they shot the gun, and you could hear a pin drop, and all you heard was... Someone clapping, and we watched, a, we watched an athlete that day who was legally blind set the world record in the 100-meter dash for blind people because he followed the clap. What I want to ask you tonight, what and who do you listen to when you're blind and you don't know where you're going? Some of us listen to a lot of things. In fact, close your eyes all across this room right now. Some of us listen to lots of noises and distractions and voices and friends and people and, and prophetic voice. All that, we hear all that stuff. But when's the last time you settled down and said, you know, I'm blind. I can't see. I don't know where to go. You want to hear his clap. to hear his clap. What in your life is so distracting that you've gotten away from the clap? You want God's will? Are you in his word? Has, has everything else distracted you from the word of God? 
When's the last time you saturate yourself in the presence of God to hear his clap? The worship team could come at this point. But right now, I just feel like, let's just keep right where you're at. Just say, God, I want to begin to hear your clap. If there's anyone that wants to hear his clap, his still, small voice. It's like the prophet who said, it wasn't in the thunder that God's voice was in. It wasn't in the storm. It was in that still, small voice. Some of you, you're struggling so hard right now. Maybe you got bad report from the doctor. Maybe you're trying to pull the pieces together of a, of a, of a dysfunctional situation with some, some family members. Or maybe you're in a place where you're, 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 you're going, do I continue doing the ministry I'm involved in here or do I, do, I, do I step away? And some people say you should step away. Some people say you shouldn't. And, you, and there's this tug of war going on or you're looking for the next step in business or finances or work or should I refi? Should I buy this? Should I buy that? Where, and, and there's all the tugging all around and you're sitting under a pomegranate tree but God's just saying, are you willing to step out and hear my voice and move? Would you stand with me all across this place tonight? I'm going to ask the worship team just to, just to begin to lead worship right now. We're going, to, we're going to lift our fingerprints to heaven all across this place. Let's just go to him and worship right now. Let's thank him for who he is. God, I pray tonight as we, as we, as we begin to worship, Lord, we just invite you to begin to speak to us. This is what I believe is going to happen tonight. I'm believing that tonight... Maybe you and your wife are looking for wisdom. Or maybe you have grandchildren or children that are far from God. You might want to just grab your spouse if they're here and say, God, would you begin to, to, would you begin to show us and teach us how, how, to, how to see this re- resolved? One night the disciples fished all night. They caught nothing. They labored all night, caught nothing. Jesus walks up to them and he says, would you drop the fish, the net on the other side of the boat? And that, that, the boats might have only been 10 feet wide. 10 feet doesn't, doesn't make a big difference. I fish enough in the Gulf of Alaska. If you fish on one side and, and the other, it's not that big a deal. But, but they, 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 they put the nets down where Jesus told them to put the nets down. And how do you want to know you can fish all night on one side, but when God says put it over here, you see more fruit than you, more fish than you know even how to count. Other people have to come. Some of you have been fishing all night. You're weary. You're tired. You're going, how come nothing works? Nothing. You need to hear his clap again. You need to get a presence of God and say, God, I've got to hear something from you. Something that changes my life. Let's worship together, church.